Welcome to episode four of our Chapel podcast series, Faith That Works. This week's topic is from James, chapter two, verses 14 to 26, brought to you by Trinity College Queensland, presented by Kay Ronalds. Good morning, everyone. My name's Kay Ronalds. These days, I wear a couple of different hats. I live at Stanthorpe and I'm the minister of a couple of congregations down there. But I also sit on a governance committee called the Religious Advisory Committee for the Services. And I'll mention a bit more about that later. Thank you, Liz, Libby, Elizabeth, <laughs> my long-time friend, for uh, reading the scriptures for us today. And thank you for your welcome to be able to come here as uh, I'm a member of the Defence Force, but I have two colleagues who are chaplains, and they will talk about some of the roles of chaplaincy. And I will respond to the Bible reading, but also give you an overview of Defence Force chaplaincy. There are different pathways for chaplaincy, and some people uh, train as ministers. All of our Uniting Church chaplains are ordained, and they have done at least a couple of years of pastoral experience before they come in to serve in the chaplaincy role. John Saunders, who uh, is army chaplain, he came as a, an army officer and then he candidated for ministry, came to Trinity College and um, then has served a number of years since he went back into service as a chaplain. And my colleague Andrea followed. Reverend Andrea followed is in a congregation at Brassel in Ipswich and she's been a reservist at, in the Air Force for quite a long time. So uh, they will each tell something about the work that they do and uh, its significance in the bigger picture for defence. Before I get into my response, this is a, a book which includes all of the uh, Defence Force values, but it has writings from each of the religions that are represented on the Religious Advisory Committee to the Services. And the writings, of course, relate to that particular defence value. And this book, which I think you have in your, in your library, Duntroon to Dilly, it's the memoir of Chaplain Gary Stone. And at points, it is really spine-tingling. He's a, an evangelical Catholic, now retired, but I don't think Gary really ever retires. But if you get a chance to read that book, it will give you a fantastic uh, perspective on chaplaincy. So, and there are, I have other books. You have some other books in your library too. Some of them are a bit dry because they're, you know, they just are. I really like reading biographies because they're real and people share their stories as well as the struggles that they've had and the excitements and, and optimism as well. So the letter of James, while written in a particular place and time, gives practical experience and practical guidance for Christians living today. And I want to focus on these few verses and consider how Defence Force chaplains take up the challenge to live with integrity and to hold together faith and action. Chaplaincy is a form of ministry that demands the kind of congruence that James describes. A notice board in Warwick, outside a church, said, your life might be the only gospel that some people ever read. 
This is especially true in chaplaincy ministry. Chaplaincy ministry is incarnational in style. You have to live amongst the people you serve. Chaplains put on a uniform and learn the language, especially those three-letter acronyms. And they become part of the institution in which they serve. It may seem like a foreign territory to outsiders, but ministers who become chaplains experience much of, much of what Defence Force members also experience. They turn up for PT, no matter the weather, that's physical training. They eat with their colleagues and sometimes live in a mess. Or, of course, if you're a chaplain on a ship, well, that's your community. You can't escape. There's no clocking off or going down to your favourite cafe. On exercises and deployment, chaplains will live in similar conditions. One chaplain, who was deployed to Timor-Leste, said that they had almost no privacy for four months, and even his daily devotions happened with him sitting on the side of his stretcher in the big tent where he slept each night. Full-time chaplains are subjected to posting cycles, mandatory training, and times of separation from family. They have to maintain their own faith, sometimes at quite a distance from Mother Church and the usual supports. Because chaplains practice their faith in a kind of fishbowl, they are always under scrutiny. People of all ranks will notice if the chaplain says one thing and does another. The efficacy of religious chaplaincy is being questioned by those who think, well, we're a secular society now. But others are believers, not in God or even of religious practice. They are believers in the difference that chaplaincy makes to Defence Force members and their families. Officially, their role is to provide broad-based pastoral care to members of the Defence Force and their families, administering spiritual support while advising command on matters of welfare and ethics. I wonder if any of you ever watched that TV show called Undercover Boss. The premise was that the boss puts on some sort of disguise and then goes and works alongside the ordinary workers. And of course they come away with insights about how challenging it can be to work in that particular organisation. Well, commanding officers can't go undercover. So, their chaplain is the one who gives them the feedback, helps them with their need to understand what it's like to be an ordinary soldier, sailor or aviator. At times, chaplains have to advocate for people of all different ranks. And the feedback that chaplains give to those in command can be invaluable, especially around issues of moral, morale and justice and personal circumstances. For example, early last year, a lot of people around Australia felt that, well, the COVID crisis is over. We're going back to work, lockdowns are over. But chaplains discovered as they talked to people that a lot of people who are Defence Force members rely on the extended family to provide support when they're 
uh, partners, or, and sometimes there are two defence per people in the one household, when they go away on course, often for weeks at a time, or if they're deployed, or if they have to move to another area and can't get home because of border lockdowns, many of them are, were really struggling. They had all of these commitments, but they really didn't have appropriate childcare in place, and they couldn't get family members to come and give them a hand. Chaplains were able to bring this issue to the notice of commanders. Traditionally, Defence Force chaplaincy in Australia was provided by Christians and Jews. But Defence Force has become a more multicultural and multi-faith organisation. So the committee on which I serve includes Christians, Catholic, Presbyterian, Anglican, Uniting, and a person who represents all the other Protestant Christian denominations, plus a Jewish rabbi from Melbourne, an imam from Sydney who has four daughters, a Buddhist woman, and a Hindu who works in IT in New South Wales Health, and a Sikh man who has a background in education. So the ADF values reflect that broad-based, multicultural, multi-faith approach to the world. And their values, service, courage, respect, integrity and excellence could just as easily have been in the list of things that James wanted Christians to live by. Unacceptable behaviour is tested against those values and so chaplains don't have the luxury of being self-righteous or intolerant based on their own personal faith convictions. Chaplains are required to provide religious administrations for their own faith group, pastoral rituals, baptisms, weddings, uh, funerals, Holy Communion or Mass, whatever it's, it is in their particular faith group. Chaplains are required to provide religious administrations for their own, but also pastoral care for all and to assist ADF members to access the religious rituals or faith practices of their own faith group, or to have the freedom to practice no faith at all, no religion at all. I heard a very senior warrant officer of the Air Force describe her superpower. She said, my superpower is I'm colorblind to rank, race, religion, gender and sexual orientation. And when I heard her say that, I thought, actually, that's what's required of chaplains too, a little colour blindness. Integrity and fairness can sometimes mean advocating for someone who makes life choices different from your own. The Uniting Church chaplains have a chance to carry the best of their Christian traditions of church and faith into the context of the military. We have the experience of building community from our training and our own uh, life in the Uniting Church or in some other denomination or some other life experience. And many of us have had experience of conflict resolution and helping people as they wonder whether they can carry on living as well as dealing with grief and bereavement and challenges to life and health. Chaplains are trained through the uh, Defence Force 
Chaplains College, which is based at ADFA in Canberra. And after the initial training, chaplains are granted a diploma in institutional chaplaincy. And at each stage, you earn a qualification as you make your way through the uh, required training. Chaplains are valued as the ADF goes into its work with our near neighbours. For example, Chaplain Samoto Fanau, who's a Navy chaplain, a Tongan man, has been really a valued member of the Defence Force as he has been something of the bridge between the Tongan community and the work that was done through um, the deployment of our Navy ships. Um, and uh, so in Tonga, he and his work has been really appreciated and applauded by um, people in high places. You could talk with John Saunders, who spent a bit of time with Samoti over in um, Fiji, Fiji at the beginning of last year. That experience of working as key leaders, key religious leaders in a community that uh, we are helping. And there's a recognition by ADF leaders in government that a chaplain needs to be able to understand the socio-political as well as the religious situation and it can greatly assist with operations. So for example, my colleague on the Religious Advisory Committee to the Services, who is an Islamic person, was able to advise the Defence Force when the Afghan refugee crisis emerged. He was able to give them advice about how best to provide for their uh, religious needs and to understand what might be a, a, a very fear-based response uh, as they were trying to escape from their homeland. One of the Defence Force recruiting tags is challenge yourself. Choosing to be a chaplain, part-time or full-time, certainly challenges you. I see it as a call within a call. I wonder how robust your call to ministry is. I've heard some ministry agents, and I'm sure none of, none of you, say that they can't move outside of southeast Queensland, they couldn't live in a church house, and especially if it happened to be right next door to the church. I know that some ministry agents are very happy to be known as clergy, but few Uniting Church people, ministers, wear recognisable clerical symbols and clothing. So if you want to hold the comforts of home and you don't want to move out of your comfort zone, then maybe a call to Defence Force chaplaincy is not for you. There are criteria. There are age criteria and health criteria. But, you know, there are great opportunities and some medical things for there. It's available to have a waiver if you need to. But if you want to be stretched and challenged, then you may want to consider this style of ministry. If you have an interest in youth and family ministry, then this may be worth consideration because a large number of the adults in defence are what, the age group of what we refer to as young adults. And the leaders of those people are generally in the age group that we talk about as family ministry. By the time they are 40, 
most people have completed their season with the ADF. And the generals are a lot younger than me. So you're really dealing with, with um, a, a narrow band age-wise. Chaplains have a place of influence on all ADF members who come through from their basic training to the senior leadership roles. It's a real point of influence. Part-time chaplains can provide really significant service. I found it enriched my work in congregations and I was able to observe Defence Force leaders at work and that gave me some perspectives that I didn't get in the church, working out what works and what doesn't. The training that Defence Force offers chaplains is sometimes not really available in the wider uh, civilian life. So, for example, training around an understanding of moral injury. A lot of you will have heard of PTSD, which is a fear-based response, but moral injury is really a guilt-based response, and um, we have someone with some significant expertise in the room today. Part-time chaplains are paid, and the money is tax-free. So if you happen to be in a fractional placement, that can really help, or you negotiate something with your, uh, your placement arrangements. Full-time chaplains are paid, and they pay tax. Mm. No. <laughs> uh, but as you're advanced through higher responsibilities, your salary increases. Sometimes people join for the money, but it's rarely why people stay. Chaplains work with many unchurched people. They get a lot of practice at accidental counselling and discussions on faith matters and life challenges. Many Defence Force members are pretty straightforward. <laughs> You're not, they're not going to dress it up. They're going to you know, just come out with it and you deal with it and you have the discussions. Chaplains work in teams of professionals, doctors, psychologists, counsellors, and that really teaches you to live and work with integrity. I think it sharpens the saw working with other professionals. So why do we need Uniting Church Ministers to become chaplains? We currently have about 40 chaplains, half of them are full-time, and each year a few retire. The compulsory retirement age is 60. That's for full-timers, and uh, sometimes um, the part-timers can continue to serve to around about 65. Some need to discharge for personal or medical reasons earlier than 60. So every year we have a few that we'd really like to replace. But of course all the other religious groups are also recruiting. So I'd really be keen that we continue to have some good quality Uniting Church ministers, ministers MOD or MOW to continue to serve because I think we have really good people and they can really make a big difference. In particular we need women and obviously some of the other faith groups don't have women candidates but we need good people to serve in this style of ministry no matter what their background and uh, we have some Tongan ministers, we have some from other ethnic groups as well. It's a great experience and it can involve significant personal sacrifice. In 1992, I jumped out of my comfort zone in size five army boots 
<laughs> Defence Force Chaplaincy is an adventure worth considering. This podcast was brought to you by Trinity College Queensland. Honest answers to tough questions. Visit trinity.qld.edu.au to learn more.